Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Journey to the Soul of Business, um, the podcast for those who care. Um, the guest that I have for us uh, today is somebody that I'm very excited to have a conversation with and very excited to have you have uh, an opportunity to listen to. Um, Adam Merkel is a good friend. Uh, I've known him only a short period of time, uh, actually, but the more I'm around he and his wife both, the more... Uh, excited I get to uh, actually have the opportunity to get to know both of them even better. These are extraordinary people, and, and Adam in particular, I, uh, I'm just thrilled to have you on, uh, on the show with me. So um, I know that one of the practices that you engage in is just a mindfulness, you know, uh, a practice of just kind of you know, showing gratitude before things begin. Uh, so I saw you uh, just kind of sitting there quiet for just a moment. So I would like to honor that just by giving a moment to you and, uh, and to the audience to settle in, um, begin to open my heart, open our hearts, uh, open our minds to a gift of a conversation that uh, I think is going to be seminal in terms of how some people, perhaps any, all of us, think about organizations. So I'll just take a moment here and I'll stop yammering and uh, just give us all time to just settle in and think about what does it mean to journey, number one. And number two, journey to the soul of business, to the soul, period. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm going to just introduce this fellow. Uh, he's a recognized expert, Adam Markle. Um, he's a recognized uh, expert, and I'm going to just read part of his bio here because it's fascinating. Uh, quite a journey. Recognized expert in the integration of business and personal transformation. Um, Adam's been interviewed by the Wall Street Journal, uh, Fox News, Newsday, New York Post, and uh, many, many other uh, and media outlets. Um, in the beginning, and this is one of the things that I think is fascinating, when we think of journeys, uh, none of us are in any way, shape, or form uh, where we were when we started out. We've all, we've all moved. Um, and in the beginning, yeah, Adam spent two years, actually, uh, teaching junior high school English, and then went on to found a successful commercial real estate investment firm and ultimately ended up going to law school where he passed the New York State, New Jersey State, and the federal court bars. Um, now, what's interesting about that is after uh, coming out of law school, he actually founded a multi-million dollar, what became a multi-million dollar law firm that specialized in finance, commercial, and employment litigation. Uh, some fascinating clients, Citibank, Wachovia, uh, HSBC, that sort of thing. Um, and continuing the journey, uh, today he's a speaker, author, entrepreneur, and he inspires, uh, empowers, and guides people to achieve massive and lasting personal and professional growth. Um, as a speaker and author and entrepreneur, he's also a recognized expert, and I talked about this, on the integration of business and personal development. And I think that that's just a fascinating field uh, and a fascinating way to think about things. And... Um, yeah, he speaks and uh, mentors people around the globe. But what I'm also interested in here is some of the granular 
uh, accomplishments. He's a four-time best-selling author. And his latest book, and he and I have had a conversation about this, um, is a book called Pivot, The Art and Science of Reinventing Your Career and Life. And we'll talk a little bit about that um, as we start moving into this. Uh, he also hosts, and I had the great privilege not too long ago of being a guest of his, he hosts the uh, Conscious Pivot podcast. And um, it's a way to explore uh, how we pivot in today's fast-paced markets. And uh, he, he's got a ton of ex- experts on the show um, where they share their stories about business, innovation, and life. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have him on this show, is uh, he, he brings an interesting perspective about what it means to journey, uh, because it's not a linear, straight-line process. There are pivots galore as we move along here. So um, I think I'll just kind of leave it at that. Uh, I'm going to come back. Yeah, he's currently the CEO of More Love Media, and we'll talk a little bit about what that firm is up to and what he's up to within the, the, the context of that. So, Adam, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's just a pleasure to be, <laughs> a pleasure to be here. <laughs> to be here, yes. Be here. It, it works. It works. I, was, I had Blaine in my head, and then B and Blaine kind of blended together, so... <laughs> The there is a blending of bees. Blending of bees. Um, I, I'm just curious. Um, you know, you have an interesting history, as as many of us do. Um, but I'll, I'm going to just start with you know the the current uh, history of of you right now. Tell me a little bit about what compelled you to write Pivot: The Art and Science of Reinventing Your Career in Life. What what was positive there? What kind of sparked that? Yeah, the, the catalyst initially was my my own pivot experience and the pain that I endured in coming to the middle, sort of whatever we define the midpoint in life is, but that area around 40 where I wasn't fulfilled in what I was doing for a living and felt like a fraud. I'm that's how I look at it today. I don't know that I called myself a fraud back then, but I, I just was miserable, um, not not feeling uh, enthusiastic to start the day. Miserable to me meant I'd put my feet on the floor in the morning and feel dread or anxiety as I began the day. And navigating journeying, is to use the word that you've said, which I think is, is a really great word for this, the journey from that place of dread and anxiety to begin a day to the place that I am at now or the places along the path between here, here where I am today and, and there where I, I started to become conscious of my misery um, and, and the exploration of the causes and, and all of that is the subject of the book. Um, initially, it was written or the motivation for the book to answer your question was a book for our kids. I wanted to write a bit of a memoir of where I had been in my life at a really crucial and difficult time in my life for our kids. Because Randy and I married my college sweetheart 28 and a half years ago, and we have four kids, and and I wanted more than anything that I someday would be able to speak to them. You know, if I could speak to them right then and there about what was going on in my life because they were young, too young to understand, or I wasn't able to articulate it, or they weren't going to listen, you know, for any number of reasons, or it wasn't, (laughs) frankly, not relevant for them at that point, that I would capture, I'd capture that learning 
that mm-hmm. I that what I had learned and what I wanted to impart to them. And so it started out as a book for them. And then our oldest daughter, Chelsea, came to me and she said, Dad, this is this is a book about much more than, you know, you sharing with us what you know what the road had been like for you. This is much more a book for for many other people who are probably travelers uh, on that path as well. And um and would come to a place where they were also just like you were concerned about us getting to that 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 fork in the road. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll they're there now. <laughs> we may be there in the future. Yeah. There are a lot of people there now, and uh, and that was really impactful. When she said that to me, I realized there was a much bigger bigger way that I could serve, or that the book in in any event could serve. And then it turned into case studies and a whole process that we were able to uh, dissect and put back together for for teaching purposes. Right. Well, yeah, what's interesting to me about that, number one, it's from the mouth of babes, your, your daughter certainly was <laughs> prescient in this uh, and, and been paying attention. Um, but the other piece is just the idea of pivoting on a journey. And, you know, I'll, I'll kind of frame this a little bit um, because I want you to speak into this. We had a prior conversation just before we started the recording. You know, whenever any organization is founded, uh, there is a spirit. There's there's something that compels the founder or founders to you know say let's let's take this to market. You know, you know there's something here that I think is going to be useful for people and it you know, ideally will enhance the quality of their lives. And you know, whether it's a service or a product. So if they're right about that, there's actually some traction that's gained in the marketplace. You know, when the service works, the product sells, and then we have to build a business around that in order to deliver on the promise. And again, if we're successful, the business starts to grow, the service, the product gets out there. We're fulfilling the ideal of what the organization was founded on. And there seems to always be an inflection point where we start looking around and we're going, and and you'll hear it in conversation. We need to get more effective. We need to get more efficient. And it becomes a question of operational effectiveness operational efficiencies in order to deliver on our promise. We'll hire in some uh, people to, to uh, pay attention to the business. And if we think about it as a, um, uh, a teeter-totter sort of a thing, there's a fulcrum that starts to move. And ideally that fulcrum will be positioned at about a 5149 piece, you know, maybe in the middle here, where we can actually control the dance a little bit between mission and business. Um, but it doesn't seem to work that way particularly often. And we will continue to move down the line, down the end of the teeter-totter and move the fulcrum along with us to where the business is dominant and becomes almost exclusively the focal point. Now, the reason I mention that is, you know, we become a, a, a mission with a business rather than a, yeah, or actually, I'm sorry, we become a business with a mission as an afterthought rather than a mission that has a business to, to work with. Where do we pivot? And uh, my, my sense is, and, and yeah, you, you mentioned this, in the dissatisfaction when I hit my feet hit the floor, there was this dread of going to work. And I mean, you look at some of the data today about employee engagement or disengagement, uh, it's, it's pervasive globally. And people have, in my estimation, lost connection with what brings life to what they do. So you noticed it in yourself yeah, this dread coming in, and you were astute enough to be able to do something about that. How does a business leader, how does a business owner begin to bring that awareness into the conversations? And this is a pivot question. 
how do we bring this into management conversations so that we can be sure that we're paying attention to the right things at the right time in the right sequence so that when we look up at the end of the day, we haven't lost who we are in service of doing our business? Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful question. Um, the statistics are pretty, are pretty stark. And for me, as having run some large organizations as well as small, you know, sort of solopreneur type organizations, um, to hear that there's something like 53% of the workforce is actively looking for new employment. What, what, that, what drives me yeah. crazy about that is that somebody's on my payroll. <laughs> 53% of the people on my payroll are looking for other work while they're on my payroll, while they're actually collecting a check. And I, I'm saying that in, in the sense of mine because anybody that owns a business is a part of that survey. Um, big or small businesses, the right. chances are one in two people that work for you are actively looking for other employment while they're also taking a paycheck. So um, the real cost to a business in, in disengaged employees or unhappy, unfulfilled, un, yeah, let's say unproductive, uh, unfulfilled employees is that it, it, it translates into lack of productivity. It translates into uh, physical, mental, emotional, well, un- Un- unwellness, uh, disease in, in the workplace, toxicity yeah. at its most extreme. There's toxicity in the workplace. I, I sometimes talk to, to um, people in, uh, in companies that I consult with. I talk about the terrible T's, toxicity and turnover, mm-hmm. which again, we talk about when, when in employee engagement is, is lacking, you end up with on the one extreme toxicity and on the other side, people that are leaving that are leaving the business. Um, and so that also begs the question, uh, isn't, you know, when there's attrition, when there's turnover, can't that be a good thing? And, and the truth is it's not, it's not turnover. Isn't all bad. I mean, obviously there's a cost to a company. Every time there's a turnover that's unnecessary, you've got to retrain, you've got to rehire, retrain, onboard someone new. There's a, a massive cost to the company in that. Um, and, and when I mentioned this to somebody once that I was speaking to at Microsoft, they said to me, yeah, but there's also really good attrition. You know, the people that leave, the people that voluntarily get off the bus without having to be asked to get off the bus, that's a really good thing to clear space and uh, to make room for new talent and, and somebody that's a, not a right fit for a company who self-selects out is, is actually really great. Right. Yeah. So, so there's no question there's a, a good side to the turnover. But when the turnover is caused by something that's systemic and endemic in the company's culture, in the fabric of the company, which I think is what you're, you're, you're pointing out, then yeah. that's, that's a very different turnover. Um, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a disconnect. You know. Yeah, assuming we can hire right, uh, and that's a, that is a big if. Uh, because uh, not a lot of people do hire right. Um, how do we keep people? And I, and I really do firmly believe that employee engagement is there, there's not. It's not rocket science. Um, one of the survey questions that Gallup actually does when they're doing their their uh, employee engagement surveys, which you know, are world famous today, uh, one of the questions they have there is how often on a daily basis do you get to do what you love? 
And how people respond to that question is indicative of a level of employee engagement that actually can be measured and, and attended to. And, and partly I'm beginning to, you know, I raise that because into the audience who can't see because you're not you know, watching a video on this, uh, Adam is wearing a t-shirt right now that says, I love my life. And that's not an accident. He wears it all the time. Uh, and the very first time I met him, he had that t-shirt on as he was giving a presentation that I was just gobsmacked by. Uh, it was brilliant. So the, the idea of love, uh, to me, I, I mean, if I, if I, I've got to have metrics in an organization. I mean, you know, what we measure is what we pay attention to. And energy will follow attention. It doesn't follow intention. It follows attention. If we're attending to doing things that we love in a way that brings us joy, in a way that allows us to connect with something that's meaningful to us, I think we've got a pretty good shot of being successful. So part of the question there is how do we bring that into an organization? And this is part of the journey question. Yeah. Journey back to the soul of business. Startups, in my experience, are filled with people, you know, not, not a lot of people because they're startups, but the people that are there are ones that are excited about being there. They're, you know, they're, they're willing to do literally anything necessary to get the job done. Uh, you know, they wear a number of different hats. I've been a member of a number of different startups. I've coached them. I've consulted with them. Um, and I look at some of these you know, so-called unicorns, uh, Snapchat, uh, Uber, uh, you know, startup companies that within Airbnb. 18 months, had, Airbnb had, had a billion-dollar market cap, uh, in 18 months and historically a fortune 500 company would take 27 years to reach their first billion dollars. So, I mean, there's a real interesting disconnect between what we think business should be and how it can be is evidenced by some of these organizations. Um, and so I'm just kind of rambling here a bit, but you know, this connection to that spirit, that founding spirit, these unicorns organizations haven't been around long enough to have disconnection be rampant in the way that it is in low, you know, in older organizations. And that is my experience. I mean, I talk to folks in startups that have been around for 18 months and there's still a you know, pretty amount, you know, good amount of energy. How do we keep people connected to that? Well, you know, it's interesting. You're, you're asking me a question and I had some things that I wanted to share, which I, I may get a chance to share, but I'm more inspired to share something that's, that's really ringing true right at the moment. Uh, and, and it's, uh, so as you were describing and I thought to myself, well, this you're describing the startup and I, by the way, I sometimes wear a shirt that says bootstrap. So I completely, <laughs> I completely get the startup piece, piece of things. Um, I started to think about your relationship, your, your intimate relationships, how often it is that people fall in love and fall out of love at a certain point. And so maybe after 18 months, they're still excited to see each other. They're still enthusiastic just at the, at the you know, the text they get or the phone call or whatever it is. There's, they're in, they're in love. And it's, it's interesting because the, the statistics I, I shared earlier about employee disengagement or they're actively looking for other work. Well, that m almost mirrors the percentage of divorce, the, the divorce rate percentage uh, yeah. worldwide which is in excess of 50% as well. So that's not just shocking on some level, but it's really, I think, telling that the heart of what we're talking about is relationships. So the question you asked was, how do, you, how do we keep the connection? Well, it's the same question for 
how we keep connections in relationships. And since I've been in a long-term relationship, I know you are as well. I think yeah. that's a really sage um, place to begin to begin, or or at least to have the conversation touch. Because I would say, in in an organization, you must you must be focused on relationship building. And so whether it's that you're a startup and you've got five people or you've got 50 people within 12 months or you've got an organization with 5,000 employees Mm -hmm. um, and contractors and vendors and everybody else, the essence of it is relationship building. And I remember when I I took over as a CEO of this company called Peak Potentials, which is a human development uh, business training company. Um, the first thing that I did in the, within within a couple of weeks was buy a book for everybody on our staff. And at that time, I think we had about 80, 80 employees. And the book that I shared with everybody actually was two books. One was Delivering Happiness, which was Tony Shea's book, yeah, which is some really, really yeah. great stuff in there. And this other book called Karmic Management. Mm-hmm. And Karmic Management, the, the essence of it was to see, to be able to see that, that there's a a sowing and a reaping uh, that happens in, in all relationships. And what must happen for us to get to a higher consciousness in business, to get more dialed into the soul of business. Perfect. And when we think about soul and spirit, we're thinking about, we're thinking about the divine. We're thinking about the yeah. essence of things that are, aren't, aren't even uh, explainable. <laughs> to, mm-hmm. I mean, we can do our best, but they're, they're inexplicable. Um, and and that level of 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 inquiry uh, in this book was taught as seeing people as their as your karmic business partners that, mm-hmm. that you were going to be looking at people even your competitors as your business partners your karmic business partners and okay. so doing unto others and and all of that was really really important in the in the way that you treated people. And, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but peak potentials ended up uh, becoming under your tutelage, <laughs> your shepherding, your your um, uh, role here as CEO of it, uh, the largest human potential training company you know, in North America. Well, it it was before I took over that before, role. Okay, but, before but, you. but we 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 took the company in in new directions, which was yep. a part of that new founding. We we changed the name to New Peaks. And ultimately, the mission of the company was to contribute something to peace in the world through, through education. It was peace right. through education. And, and, and that's partly the reason I raise that, because a lot of people will think the mission is just static. You know, the, the found, it, it doesn't. It actually grows as the organization and the market and everything else evolves. Now, I'm, I'm remember, uh, reminded here of a story, uh, just real quickly, that you're talking about here. Um, young couple got you know, married, head over heels, madly in love with each other. They just, I mean, it was just, and it was truly a marriage made in heaven. And about a year into this blissful union, um, it's just going magically. The wife comes up and tugs on the husband's sleeve and says, honey, we need to talk. And his eyes get big, you know, deer in headlights sort of thing. And she's going, no, 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 nothing wrong. I just want to sit down and have a talk. So they sit down, they have a talk. How are we doing? What's up? You know, that, you know, it's, it's just kind of a catch up. And she gives him a hug, a big kiss, and life goes on. And he's going, well, that was not that bad. And another 18 months goes by, and she comes back again, tugs on his sleeve, and says, hon, we need to talk. He looked at his watch, and he's like, didn't we just do that? 
And she's going, oh, yeah, maybe we did, but we need to do it again here. So let's sit down and help. And so they talk about what's up, what's up, you know, what's changed, what's different, you know, just kind of updating. Over time, this goes on fairly regularly. And the guy's a slow study, so it takes him a while. uh, But it dawns on him about five, six years in that she's not having a conversation about the relationship. The conversation is the relationship. And based on what you're talking about here, when we think about relationships, I believe fully that that's all an organization is, a collection of people that are in relationship, not just with each other, but with everything. And the conversation is the lifeblood. It's not only the barometer, uh, but it's also the, um, uh, the uh, indicator of what's going on. So if I listen to the types of conversations that are typical in most organizations, it's about what we're doing. It's not about how we're doing. And what I hear you saying is have conversations about how we're doing, you know, the nurturing conversation. And I don't mean nurturing in the sense of oh, pat on the back, nurturing in the sense of I'm nurturing the relationship that's so ecumenical to our success, whether you're a vendor, a supplier, a coworker, whatever it may be. That's Absolutely. what I hear you talking about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, uh, it's the the essence of it is communication. So when you, you're talking about conversation, it's <laughs> it's communication, right? So marriages and relationships that don't work are usually ones where the communication is is weak or non-existent, or it's uh, you know in some way um, you know. It's almost always about what we're doing, not about how we're doing. Yeah. You made me angry. You pissed me off. You didn't do. It's, it's all what. <laughs> and and I think that's one of the quickest ways to move away from connection is to focus on the what, not the how. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, and, and the, the why is important as well, right? Because yeah, absolutely. At, at, when you talked about mission earlier, it's so important that we understand why we do things. When we're yep. kids, part of when we, we think about where does poor communication start? So if, if we were to make the argument for, for argument's sake <laughs> that <laughs> poor relationships are the result of poor communication that in some way poor communication contributes to the demise of the intimate relationship and, and kind of all other relationships, as you say, business collection relationships, you go, so where does poor communication begin? And you think back to when I was a kid, you, I mean, I do, you do, we think back to school. We would ask this question of our parents and of our teachers. Why we'd say, why some of us would say it more often than others. Yeah. But drove my parents say, crazy with it. Yeah, we would drive our parents crazy. And what would they often say in response to our question of why? Say, because. because. I told you so. Or because. Yeah. And that's it. Like, yeah. Because nothing, period. Uh, because I told you so. And so that question why, I think, was frowned upon quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get a lot of, um, there wasn't a, uh, a lot of reinforcement of the curiosity this natural curiosity to understand why we're being asked to do something, to do our homework, to brush our teeth, to get up in the morning, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and so that curiosity, um, I think, gets, gets sort of uh, beaten out of us, but it's never really beaten out of us. No, it, it's, there's an ember. Yeah, the underlying inside all of us is this desire to understand why. So if you don't address the why in, in connection with your communication and I think the relationship suffers. Absolutely. And you know, when I was referencing the how, it was in, you know, in reference to this why, this general understanding. And, and I agree. I mean, and then we're going to close to where we need to cut off, unfortunately. Here. 
Um, but this, this, you know, Simon Sinek, you know, start with why, and we can talk about that, but, um, and we're not going to because we are <laughs> limited on time here. But what I'm hearing you say and what I greatly appreciate is this is one of the pieces of the pivot is, you know, when I lose connection with that why, and you know, when my feet hit the ground and I'm distressed, <laughs> it's kind of like I, I, I can't go back to work. The why has shifted the, the, and how I'm doing in relation to that shift in why. One of the things I want to you know, leave the audience with here is the, the vernacular of because. You know, why can't, you know, yeah, the question why you know, evokes a response. And if the response is because, the nature of the language, because the source is outside of me, mm. because of something out here. One of the ways that I think, and this is what I'm hearing you say, is that when I'm taking responsibility through curiosity, curiosity leads into imagination. Imagination lives at the threshold of spirit. Mm. I'm not going to have imagination triggered unless I have access to spirits. The question why brings me to that point. And the cause is internal. What's causing me to come to life? It's not because of anything external to me. Where, where do I go? And that's the invitation I think business leaders uh, can actually bring to their people. Yeah. What would, what would you love to do and how can we cause that to happen for you? It's fundamental. I mean, that's one of the things that we addressed in, in, uh, in the book pivot was why, why do people feel unfulfilled in their lives? And then therefore a change is required. So in my case, it was a change by design. So the first, the first, sort of conscious pivot. And you said earlier, yeah. my, our podcast is called the conscious pivot for a reason. My first conscious pivot was this design build model where I knew I couldn't continue to put my feet on the floor and feel the way I felt. Because if I continued to do that, I was probably not going to be around long. And I remember coming home from work one day and looking at Randy and saying to her, if I keep doing what I'm doing, you're going to be a widow. So I realized I needed to make a change. I think there's a number of people in my camp out there that are mm -hmm. wanting to design, build a change. And, and that's why I wrote the, the, the first go around for pivot was that. But then there's another version of pivot, which is the default pivot. The oh, one no. where we ignore signs that we either feel inside or we ignore yep. signs from outside of ourselves even that are saying a change is coming because we know that the, the constant, one of the greatest constants in the universe is that of change. change. Right? Absolutely. About an oxymoron, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Change is a constant. But we can count on that. And, and yet change brings up all this fear in people and mm -hmm. change even in a business. I mean, businesses for the most part are able to innovate, which means they can embrace change. They are ahead of the curve for change. They're looking at how to make use of change to utilize change or they're culturally resistant to change and want things to remain the same, same which right? they cannot do. And then they, they, they're overlooking or yeah, they're ignoring the, this massively important universal law uh, that will change things whether they consent to it or not. And then often yeah. those companies are gone. Like the Fortune 500 in 1955, oh. of those 500 most famous and successful and you know, giants in their space at the time, those, those incredible companies, 88% of those companies don't exist today. Right. These are the best yeah. companies in the world. Uh, that's, you know, what are we talking about here? We're talking about, yeah. you know, 70 years ago? I mean, it's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. Second, but, second but I, time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the focus, I know, and I've worked in some of those companies, the focus was on the business and 
the, the spark the, the, that kept them alive was so far in the past. Yeah. And it wasn't revisited. It wasn't updated. It wasn't brought into relevance. I mean, Polaroid is a great example of that. What a perfect example. Polaroid's a great example of a company that failed to pivot. Whereas yep. YouTube, when YouTube got started, they were a video dating site. Most people, yes. no, most most people, people do not know that. know that. Exactly. So, you know, the dating part didn't, wasn't going to work. They kept the video, got rid of the, the dating. It's not that a dating site couldn't work. Clearly, Match.com and any of these others, mm-hmm. Harmony, what have you, very successful. But they're not YouTube. And I don't know that YouTube would have ever become YouTube if they were so attached to staying, you know, maintaining the status quo, keeping, you know, just firmly rooted in, in, in being a video dating site. So they were able to pivot and famously created something even, even more profound, it seems. And there, and there we're going to bring it to a close. <laughs> Adam, I want to thank you for being on the show. Uh, the best way for people to get uh, more information about you, to get in contact with you would be? They can go to adammarkell.com. You can find out more about me and the book and our podcast and all those kinds of things. So okay. adammarkell.com. And that's A-D-A-M-M-A-R-K-E-L.com. You got it. <laughs> okay. What a pleasure. Adam, oh, it's absolutely pleasurable. I, I, I loved doing this and I'm so thankful that you uh, said yes. Mm. <laughs> Thank I look you forward for to seeing you in, a, uh, in a couple of weeks, actually, I think I'm going to see you. Yes, we will. Yeah. Okay. You take care, my friend. You too. Okay. I'm gonna... This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.